All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez. I'm here with Marty Griffin and John Downing, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Mardog, welcome back. It's been a while. It has. I appreciate you guys uh, doing what you do best while I was gone. It was uh, quite a bit of a hiatus between... Moving, job changes, baby on the way. Yeah, there's a lot of shit going <laughs> there's on. There's a lot of things going on. I really yeah. missed uh, editing out your loud, Laffy. obnoxious laughter. Oh, I got, I just got a pocket full for you for this episode, <laughs> so get ready. Bleeding eardrums by the time it's over with. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, it, it's awesome to be back. Uh, besides, you know, the continuous amount of texting throughout the week, I, I've missed sitting in with you guys for sure, so good to be here. All right. Uh, Johnny, how you doing this week? Uh, good. Very good. Did you enjoy the Home Run Derby last night? Home Run Derby was was a good show. It was a good show. I, my pick was Josh Bell, so obviously that didn't go well. He got eliminated in the first round. Your guy. Thanks for <laughs> letting me down, Mr. Bell. Uh, I had Vlad all the way. Yeah, I didn't think that Vlad would do well just because I know that Progressive Field, Cleveland's home park, is... It's a better place for lefties because they, not as much as New York is a short porch for the lefties, but they still have a shorter porch and it's easier for the lefties to pop one out yeah. than it is for the righties. The righties also have a 19-foot wall that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So you can see it. We're actually watching the, the warm-up of the, for the All-Star game right now and you can just see that they just showed the wall. So for the righties, it's a little bit further and they have a 19-foot wall to deal with. So And, and Vlad Guerrero has kind of... He struggled coming into this year, so far this year since his call up. He hasn't produced like people expected him to produce, and so, you know, I think, and there was just a lot of pressure on him because his dad won it um, right. in two thousand seven, I believe, and you know, I just think that he's had a lot of pressure on him to perform, and he hasn't lived up to it. But you get him in a batting practice type setting, and boy, did he perform! It was pretty crazy. His stamina was pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, you know, two rounds of twenty nine home runs, and then that round against Peterson to go I think a total of by the end 39 to win to win it all because it went two extra time and then two three hit extra I don't know what you call it extra you get three three swings and they, that went t- two rounds right there as well uh, that was against Peterson and then he rolls into the finals and he's just gassed and that's the format's kind of ridic- ridiculous I mean people are walking away you know in the in the Twitter world last night just pissed about you know uh, Fonzo uh, winning that for the Mets, but you know he walked in after you know the guy basically went three more rounds than him uh, just to beat Peterson on his side of the bracket. But it's pretty phenomenal to watch. That, that was something to see, and he was averaging like 420 a home run too on those hits. Yeah, he was he was getting it out there. So I feel like that's how it is almost every almost every home run derby year. The winner isn't usually the one who puts on the best show. Right. Because I remember, like, just, and this goes all the way back to, like, 1999 when they owned the Home Run Derby at Fenway, and, you know, Mark McGuire was put on the show, but it was Griffey who actually won, won the thing. So, you know. Yeah, I think the best performance were hitting plus the guy actually won was Hamilton that one year when he hit, like, 27. In New York. Yeah. Yeah. 2008. All right. some, did some crack to celebrate. <laughs> so, so Polar Bear Pete, he's got 30 home runs in the first half. He has burst on the scene for the New York Mets, the Florida Gator product, 
And he uh, he is the winner of this year's Home Run Derby, beating out Vlad, who was the winner of the show. All right. Well, we'll get into baseball in a little bit. Uh, it is the 31st episode of the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. So, Johnny, you want to start with your 31? Sure. I'll go with um, a personal favorite of mine. The nicest athlete that I ever waited on when they got their at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse years ago. I think it was 2006 or seven, And... Yeah, it was 2006 because it was right before he got called up. He was pitching in Pawtucket, and I was working in Providence. And uh, John Lester came in with two of his friends. So it was a party of three. They get their dinner, and you know he said they said grace before they you know actually dug into their meal. And he was just very polite. Not something you usually see from from the athletes. A lot of the athletes are kind of um, you know kind of streetish. You know, and they got that thug to them. You know, <laughs> but he did absolutely deny. He was very nice. Non-denominational pricks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not all. They're, no, they're, I'm not saying that because like a lot of them are really good right. tippers. Like Mo Vaughn was always a good tipper. Chris Slade of the Patriots was always a really good tipper. So it, they just you know kind of acted like they're big. And but yeah. I guess Lester wasn't big yet. But you could tell you know he had um an, a good persona about yeah. him. You know just um. And knew his place in the world. And soon after that, he gets called up and he pitches in the 2007 clinching game of the World Series for the Red Sox after overcoming cancer. And so that was big. Uh, he was born January 7th, 1984. Um, played for the Red Sox from 2006 to 2014. Got traded to the A's in 2014 for UNS Cespedes. Um, two years after being di- diagnosed with lymphoma, like, like I said, Lester started, won that final game of the 2007 World Series. And in May of the next year, he pitched a no-hitter against the Kansas City Royals. And in 2013, along with David Ortiz, he helped the Red Sox to another World Series. And then in 2016, he helped the Cubs win their first World Series in a very, very long time, ending their curse of the Billy Goat. Uh, his one loss record as a pitcher, I feel like for John Lester, you just have to, you, you know, you know what he is, because he's never been the most dominant regular season pitcher. But when it comes to playoff time, aside from like Madison Bumgardner, John Lester is one of those arms that you've always been able to count on when the, when it matters most. Right. Um, so his regular season stats will never reflect just how how good of a pitcher he is in big moments. But his one loss record is 185 and 104, so that's that's good. His career ERA is 3.51. He has 2,283 strikeouts. He's a five-time All-Star, three-time World Series champ. He was the 2016 National League Championship Series MVP. And um, that's it. That's my guy, number 31, John Lester. Will he be a Hall of Famer? He's, I feel like he's got to get those wins up to about 250. You know, 300 yeah. not doesn't happen it's anymore. Like a, Nobody yeah. gets 300 anymore, so they're not going to go by that. But if you can get up to 250, uh, along with keeping the ERA around 3.5 with the three World Series, uh, he, he's close. You know, yeah. he's not there right now, but if he can, you know, keep going for maybe another four or five years, then yeah. then, yeah, he should be. Maybe if he can get another championship. Yeah, exactly. That would help, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go next. Going to do something a little bit before my time, but as a member of the famed Steel Curtain, all the old-timers talk about this team constantly. Always heard about Donnie Shell. He was the strong safety for those 70s juggernaut Steel Curtain teams. 
Um, at the time of his retirement, uh, he was the career leader in interceptions. Uh, he had 51. Obviously, the Steelers' uh, ring of honor. He's a five-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, second-team All-Pro in 1981, uh, four-time Super Bowl champion, of course, 490 interception yards, 51 interceptions, two touchdowns. I don't have a lot to say, obviously. Never watched him play, but... It'd be pretty cool if when he hits guys, that you've just been shell-shocked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was the Steelers team MVP in 1980. Huge, huge uh, plays in those uh, Super Bowl games. He's been in the top 15 uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but um, the last time he really had a good chance was in 2002. So um, doesn't look like it's going to happen for him. But uh, he played 201 games for the Steelers, and that is second only to the Hall of Fame center, Mike Webster, who played 220. So, Donnie Show. Nice. Well, mine, speaking of 300-win pitchers, uh, 2014 Hall of Fame inductee, uh, Texas native, actually grew up, I think less than 40 miles away from me, San Angelo, Texas. Um, Greg Maddox, Atlanta Braves, Chicago Cubs, drafted by Chicago Cubs, I believe 86, played a few years there. Uh, mainly his body of work uh, was done with the Atlanta Braves during his time. Eight-time All-Star, World Series champion, 1995, four-time NL Cy Young Award, 18-time Gold Glove Award, which I think is still a record. Um three-time MLB wins leader. Uh, Maddox, only pitcher in MLB history to win at least 15 games for 17 straight seasons, which is pretty incredible. Like I said, with along those addition, those 18 gold gloves, I guess yeah, I'd say Johnny probably best known to be one of the best control pitchers ever uh, to play the game. Um, you know, had more more win games uh, in the 1990s than any other pitcher. Eighth and all-time all-time career wins list with 350 to uh, 355, uh, one of ten pitchers to have 300 wins, and also uh, 3,000 strikeouts, um, and also uh, the only pitcher with a record with 300 wins, more than 3,000 strikeouts, and fewer than 1,000 walks in his career. So definitely a guy. Uh, you know that team back in the day with Glavin and Schmaltz and Maddox. They were definitely fun to watch. Uh, one Definitely one of my all-time favorite pitchers to watch growing up. So, yeah, my 31, Greg Maddox. He showed that it was all, the, you know, for pitching, it's not all about velocity. It's about well, yeah. location, location, location. I think the, And building, getting the hitters kind of on a proverbial rocking chair with the right. um, with the, with the fastball and the off-speed, off-speed pitches and right. locating, and you can dominate that way, and you don't just need to throw 100 miles an hour because, especially like in today's game, Oh, it's always been this way. Hitters can time and, and catch up to velocity. Right. It's just, you, you know, you see it enough, you can catch up to it. So you need to be more, more than about velocity. You need to be about command of the mound and the strike zone. And I feel like he is just the poster child for, for that, that type of pitcher. At the peak You're of his career, he pitcher. threw 93 towards midseason, late season. He can never get over like 88, 89, but had the most ridiculous like sinker and two-seamer. Um, and a lot of major league players were just frustrated because he was definitely turned you into a ground ball hitter 
they could get the ball up in the air on him for sure. And then later on in his career, they started they they got the all all three of them, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, all got started to get the expanded strike zone just because they could put the ball wherever they wanted with yeah. their pinpoint control, and you know that really frustrated hitters as it's like you know and that they don't they're so good they don't need, need the, the extra yeah. inch or whatever. But <laughs> Marty, you ever hear of Greg Maddox paint? Yeah, they only paint the corners, maybe. <laughs> so Johnny, next year's basketball season is saved. Oh my god! Not boy I don't think I've ever been so excited for a basketball season, <laughs> and it's you what? know it's not just because of the Celtics like they have a chance. They're like in the top ten teams of teams that have a chance. But like there's like I would say twelve legit teams that have a chance to win the championship next year. There is not one dominant team in the league. It's going to make the regular season so enjoyable. We have parity. Like, like the NFL has strived to have for years. And what makes the NFL so successful is on a week-to-week basis, the games are so important because it affects the playoffs and, you know, go with whatever's going forward. And I feel like the NBA is going to have the same thing this year. And it's something that in my lifetime, I can't remember them having. Yeah. Can you? Like, I was going telling you this the other day, going back to... Even the early 80s, it was the Lakers, then you had, you know, the Sixers, then the, the Celtics, and the Lakers, and the Pistons, and then you had the Bulls, and yeah, the Rockets, the, and the Bulls, and the, the Pacers Lakers. out there. I mean, like, I mean, you had a the little Pacers, and The Pacers never won, though. No, I mean, but they, I mean, it was, there was a time, you know, early 90s, late 80s, where it was tough to get out of both conferences. I mean, you had your dominant team, but that they went, like, five-game series. It was tough grind out. Yeah. Yeah, the Trailblazers, like you said, going against the Lakers and grinding out Pistons, Pacers, Knicks. You know, those Knicks-Pacers series were always awesome to watch. Just seemed like, you know, that was going that was possibly going to be my other 31. So maybe there's been a few he- seasons here and there. But... but you're talking about two conferences now with the top four or five rated teams in both that it, it, those tables could change and turn with an injury or mm-hmm. just when people hit a hot streak at the right time, which I think that's the biggest thing now. And sorry, I know that that trade came late, probably after midnight, Nesto, and you woke up to Johnny and I jizzing all over your phone. Oh, I turned uh, notifications know. off a, yes. a long time ago. <laughs> but it's probably like 35 texts the next morning. But yeah, I just, I just feel like there's no guarantee with the Lakers, even though now they've picked up Cousins and, you know, Avery Bradley, which is a phenomenal pickup for them as a defensive point guard. But but they I just announced LeBron's playing point guard. <laughs> See, this, you know... Oh, I, get, I just want to thump him in the head. <laughs> but it's, it's just like one of those things, though. I just don't see Cousins staying healthy. I don't see Davis staying healthy. I don't. I see that attrition over LeBron, especially going to make him a point guard now and just like run that show. They're just going to run themselves in the ground. I think as a conf- I mean, as a league, you got to say we got to beat up on a team like that and wear them down. Not just for us, but the whole league. Just bury these guys straight through. But what the Pelicans are going to bring to the table with that young squad. They're going to run all night long. There's, there's a lot of things, exciting things to look forward to, how the Mavericks are going to develop with Porzingis and Doncic, you know, and what that's going to bring to the, the table. The Suns look better now. You know, the Suns look great. I think. You I don't know, think I they look, look great, but they look better. They look better. They're going to be competitive, and they're going to they're be exciting to watch. And I think that's why the level of, of talent is spread so much that there's just so many throwaway games in the last few years. Oh, totally. They, and it didn't matter because you always knew the Warriors were going to win. Yeah, yeah, very true. And, and even I, before that, it was the Heat. 
But I tell you right now, man, my, my dark horse, and, and it, I'm not a genius for saying this by any means. A lot of people are already like murmuring this, but watch out for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people built. are picking them. They are built with perfect players who will take directions if you have the right coach. Great role players around great scores. That team is going to be severely dangerous. I think they could be what the Nuggets were this past year, but even better with just like great role players that not won't be as streaky. And Denver again. And they're yeah. getting Michael Porter Jr. back this year mm-hmm. to add into the mix. It's gonna be see. I mean, you know, with with Celtics getting Cantor, you know, he's he's got a little bit of a, a reputation for not being a great player. Uh, you know, taking his shot defensively, he's just not a great defensive player when he, he's going up against big marquee guys, but he's going to bring something to the table, so it's going to be interesting. He can rebound, and he can play yeah. offensively, but, but defensively, yeah, he's a lot I know you guys talked a lot about basketball last week, and I won't, I won't jump on it, but I, I, whew, I'm a big Kawhi Leonard fan. I love what he's done. And, and the parody that he's brought to the table because everybody thought so, this thing was going to be a done deal with the Lakers. And now hearing all these reports that he was like, he was really going out of his own way to try to get players to come and play with him. The types of, he's trying to get Irving, he's talked to other players, you know, to get George to come over. Durant, he tried to get Durant. He tried to get Durant, like he was shopping for himself, not necessarily shopping for other teams, letting them shop him. So it um, seems like he didn't want to play. Like he had no plans to go to the Lakers all along. At all. He actually changed the his meetings with the Lakers because he was he was meeting with, with some of the players yeah. while he was in L.A. Right. So I think in the Lakers maybe if they had any clue, like they must have had kind of had a feeling like, hey, this guy's messing around with us because if he was serious, you're not changing your meeting time with the Lakers. And I just think it's so funny to me. Like he's like he he and he. Strung the Lakers along, thinking they had a chance, and then all the free agents signed somewhere else except for Cousins, who comes in on a minimum deal because nobody else wanted him. Nobody else wanted him, right. and then he he burns them at the you know the last minute and I goes to the Clippers and, then, and along with Paul George, and it's just love the it. phenom- It's phenomenal to me. And we were waiting for this news, and we were all in fear of Kawhi going to the Lakers and ruining the NBA. And now well, we're, you and I are ready to boycott. Ready to boycott, and now here we go. We we have a league with Kawhi and George, Paul George getting traded to the Clippers. Uh, I feel a little bit bad for the Raptors, but not really because they won their championship, so it worked out for them. And they knew what they were shopping for. They definitely knew what they were getting into, and it's going to see like it's going to turn on their... They knew it was going to turn on their head, if not this coming year, the following year. So they got their championship. Everything worked out for them. And I'm telling you right now, man, the Clippers look disgustingly strong. With Patrick Beverly, you know, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, and... um, you got Lou Williams, six-man genius award winner every year, coming off the bench, automatic score. That team mm. is going to be super tough to deal with. So as of this point in the summer, the Clippers have the highest odds at plus 300, followed by the Lakers at plus 400, the Bucks at plus 500, the 76ers at plus 800, Rockets and Warriors both uh, at 1,400, Nuggets, 1,600, Jazz, 1,600, and then the Raptors and Celtics at plus 2,000. Yeah, I think the Raptors have even fallen further. Yeah, I think the Raptors should fall further and Jazz should I've got them at 80 to 1 here now. Yeah. And I I guess we got one big show left to watch this offseason NBA, and that's now the, the Westbrook situation. Both sides now are in agreement that they need to make this move. 
sooner rather than later. So you think he's getting traded? I huh? think he's getting traded. I think he will go to the Heat. I think they'll they'll shop him and make that wow. trade. I think that will happen. I, I think it's a good market for him. The Heat would like that. It's going to be automatic ticket sales for that program. And I think uh, what supposedly OKC will think now, you got to accept that you're just not going to be rebuilding. This is going to be a, a four- to five-year rebuilding plan for them as a franchise. Now, you know, you get some picks out of that. You got all those picks with George. Might as well use it. Might as well just take take the low talent pool, come out of the D League, use your picks, and rebuild. Wow. So, I mean, we'll, we'll deal with that when and if it happens. But I think it'll the happen. fallout, if it does happen, just think about it. So, like, one of their first years together, they make the NBA Finals and losing six games to the Heat, LeBron James's Heat, when they had James Harden, Westbrook, and yeah. Kevin Durant. And you're thinking, man, this, the future is bright for this team because they are loaded. loaded. And they never made the finals again. And then Not enough balls on the court for those there, three, there three goes Harden, Then there goes Durant. And the last piece to go will be Westbrook. So we'll kind of we'll kind of go over the, the thunder yeah. if that happens. If that happens. But that would be something if it does. It's, what a shame. Yeah. I mean, they're talking right now. I mean, when it, when and if it happens, it, I mean, Heat's definitely the number one contender in that in my mind. Uh, Detroit could make a move to try to be something relevant. They have Detroit. a lot. Of, they have a lot of money. They got to shuffle around. Um, Timberwolves could play, make a play, and there's been whispers. I don't see how in hell this could ever happen. And that's the Rockets. I don't think you could have Paul Harden and Westbrook. I don't see ever Harden and Westbrook being on the same team ever again because those two egos just fill the whole stadium alone. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. I mean Westbrook's got to redeem himself because right now, like he's just a great, right? He's a great regular season player. He's a great regular season player. His shot is getting worse by the year now, and once the playoffs come, he's getting he's he's not the best point guard on the floor anymore. He just isn't. And not a knock on him. I mean, his ferocious playing style. He's got some years under him now. I mean, he's not young, and and to play at that level is not easy for a guy his size to come out and do that each and every year. So, you know, you take that $170 million contract as a new franchise uh, that wants to invest him, and you're going to be taking a chance. So it's whoever's willing to take that chance on him. Okay. We good with basketball? Yeah. I'm definitely excited for the season. But now, like, so we're watching summer league games. That's what we got right now. I watched three this week. Yeah, I watched a summer league game last night. Yeah. Um, They're not great, but it's something. Yeah. And then after that, it'll be NBA dry period until season starts until October. But I do like what I do like is that the free agency in basketball. It's like almost no other sport because everything goes quick. You know, everything is like boom, Seems boom, like boom, boom, boom. Once boom. the first domino falls, it all just starts to go on. It was so re- it's real exciting, and then then we'll be done for a little while. So then it'll be spring training for football. Yeah. This past Sunday, the. U.S. Women's National Team brought home gold, USA, USA, USA. Dominating performance. I never felt like the Dutch were ever in danger of winning that game. Uh, it was pretty dominating, even though they went into the half tide. Their goalie was playing really well, the Dutch oh, goalie, because they were peppering her early. Yeah, and she I was, was getting awesome. worried that I, I had seen something similar when the Bruins were peppering. Um, Bennington in Game Seven early on, and they did, couldn't didn't, couldn't get one past her. And I knew that that, it was that just would come back. His confidence. Yeah, it would come yeah. back, and so I was a little worried that that would happen to the women in that game. I think it's but a little. It I think it's a little different in soccer, just based on the way you score. Like usually, 
um, goalies will face under 10 shots in an entire 90-minute game, whereas, you know, in hockey, it's not unusual to, for, for a goalie to face 25 to 40 shots even. So I didn't get to see any. I was at a, uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's it a great day. It's a birthday party for a two-year-old. It, I, but I didn't get to see any of that game, so I, I really don't have much I could say on it. But looking at some of the replays, it seemed like they were definitely dominating, forcing the issue the whole time. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I mean... The, the girls just, or the women, excuse me, uh, just absolutely tore through that entire tournament. And a couple numbers from the tournament. Uh, the United States uh, were able to secure their fourth uh, Women's World Cup trophy. They were unbeaten in the tournament. They, at no point in the tournament, trailed. 26 goals scored which is a new record for the tournament. 17 games unbeaten with a 12 uh, consecutive win streak. Uh, and that's still going. And I don't, I don't expect there'll be a, a ton of turnover on the team. Obviously, they'll lose. Uh, well, they may lose Rapino. I guess it's not obvious. Uh, but she'll be, I believe, 37 uh, by the next World Cup. And they'll probably, this one's more obvious, uh, lose Carly Lloyd as well. Jill Ellis is the first coach to win two FIFA Women's World Cups, and Megan Rapino is the first player to score multiple goals in back-to-back knockout matches. There was a point in the tournament where all of the goals that USA had scored had been off of her boot. Uh, so, hell of a job by her. Uh, Megan Rapino eclipsed Carly Lloyd as the oldest go- goal scorer in a final. Tobin Heath, Ali Krieger, Rapino. Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd played their third uh, FIFA Women's World Cup final, joining Germany's Birgit Prinz uh, for the distinction. And uh, Alex Morgan against England was the first player to score a goal on her birthday uh, in the FIFA Women's World Cup. So She was getting after it in the postgame. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. I saw all your likes on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of a uh, celebrity crush on uh, Alex Morgan for sure. A little bit. He had some Thumbs comments up. earlier that we can't share on the air. <laughs> Thumbs up. But I agree with those a whole hardly 100%. She was getting after it. Yes. All right. So congratulations to the women. Two things I'd like to see is the women get paid more and for the men to play better. Well, ah! well, that uh, <laughs> I think the odds for both are pretty far away right now. The way those, you know, the way we view our women's program as far as it comes to to U.S. sports, I don't know. There's a lot of things that come out over, over this whole thing of them dominating over there, and I, I, I don't know if you guys talked about it last week or even before, like uh, on the air. Just and I'm kind of curious about your thoughts and feelings about. Yeah, like a little bit of the uh, arrogant behavior, the confident behavior, which I like to call it, but, you know, this double standard when it comes to male players and how they behave and how they rally in the the locker room or how they behave somewhat on the pitch, as they say. But I I do think there's a a little bit of unfairness, uh, you know, rose-colored glasses in a lot of way of how that's perceived when it comes to women dominating in sports rather than men. And I, I think it's they've caught a lot of unnecessary bullshit 
through this whole course. Um, and I was just kind of curious what your guys' feelings were that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you would have to be really silly to not accept that there is a difference between um, the way women's sports are perceived and men's sports are perceived and, and how society in general has uh, sort of double standards in what we accept for behavior from men and what we accept in behavior for women. I mean, I think they definitely deserve to get paid more. There's numbers out there where the women's team uh, would earn about $28,333 less, or about 89% of the compensation of a similar, similarly situated men's team player. Uh, and, and this is a funny uh, wrinkle here. If both teams lost all 20 games... The players would make the same amount. That's because the men earn a $5,000 bonus when they lose, and the women have a $100,000 base salary. So, uh, I mean, these are some of the top athletes in our country. Uh, I would, I may start referring to the U.S. women's national team as the U.S. national team yeah, and absolutely. start calling, uh, making the distinction uh, for the men, and that, that could be the U.S. men's national team. Um, and then, I mean, I, and I understand in American sports for male athletes, for them to want to make a living and get paid, you know, they drift away from the game of soccer itself, that they're leaning towards, you know, baseball, basketball, football, the, the three major three, where that is different for women. But, you know, when it comes to marketing and when it comes to their dominance lately in the sport and in FIFA, like, I think there's got to be some type of recognition and change in that and, and some type of agreement in terms with the sport um and i don't know if it's a federation or what you'd call it but to make that happen for them i mean i know it's all based on marketing and endorsements in this country and they don't get a lot around that but i think some companies should really start investing because when it it comes to these times and these women get on a roll in the world cup i mean you could see the numbers and and, and the viewers that we had for the game sunday which was phenomenal mm-hmm. and i think even if the men reached that it would even equal the same numbers I don't really think so. I think the women still dominate in those viewer numbers, even if the men made it to a final. I don't know. If we made it to a final, that would it would be really interesting to see how the country would react to yeah. that because nothing nothing gets the needle moving like like Winning. gold. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, I thought it was funny. You were talking about how, you know, soccer, there's not enough money in it in this country for it to really attract some of the best athletic talent we have. Uh, But there is definitely money in the world for soccer if you can make it to that level. Lionel Messi of the FC Barcelona is the highest uh, paid soccer player, earning $111 million a year. That's $84 million in salary and another $27 million in endorsements. I mean, I I get it. I mean, but I feel like even if American players reach this incredible level of talent that they're going to go to the Euro Leagues themselves and clubs and not remain in the, you know, MLS here, you know, it's just still not, they still haven't gotten to that point. Yeah. Who watches MLS? Nobody. No one. Nobody. You know, Nobody. I don't. Robert ESPN, Kraft owns a team. Is it on ESPN Ocho? Like, I don't even know, like, yeah. where you find games yeah. for MLS. You know, I know, I know it pops up on the radar, like, late July and August because there's nothing, hardly anything else to watch besides baseball that's on. It's just and like I know they ruined the field for the Patriots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just the way we are. I mean, I 
soccer didn't even exist and you know for me growing up especially texas i mean you're going to tell a kid to run that size field kicking a ball around the heat in the middle of summer no way it just <laughs> yeah, doesn't no. happen it just doesn't happen sorry <laughs> all right moving along um we may not have a show next week so i figure we could talk a uh, a little bit about the Open Championship. Yeah, man, British Open. It's going to be a little interesting. I mean, this is going into Port Rush, the British Open. Uh, defending champion is Francisco Molinari, who, uh, if you guys remember, uh, kind of fell apart in the uh, final round with Tiger Woods in the Masters. Uh, was on pace to really take that. Um, and then the Tiger magic happened that weekend. And I really think that... Basically, that that fall right there for him has has really disrupted his play in the last few tournaments. He doesn't seem like himself, so it'll be interesting to see if he really steps up to defend himself from winning uh, for winning last year. Uh, some heavy hitters that you always got to mention as far as odds if you want to take into this. Obviously, uh, Kepka is going to be right up there. Uh, he's ranking right now six to one odds and in favor. And if you're talking about guys who win opens, you got to go with. Uh, Rory, he just he he just seems to step up in, in the opens um, and plays well. He's a ten to one favor, and just because you gotta like cup his junk and always kind of be on the needle, <laughs> throw uh, Tiger Woods in there. I, he, he's a twelve to one. I don't see him on this course winning, um, but it's Tiger. So who, who the hell knows? Like if he can just step up and, and be that guy. But there's that course has a lot of mid fairway hazards and obstacles it's more about pinpoint shooting and some of these guys like dustin johnson and tiger who wants to bomb away Kepka's a big bomber but he can also he can get out of trouble a lot better than some of these guys so i think that's why he's still the high favor uh johnson and tiger both 12 to 1 odds justin rose who's my personal favorite in this uh he's 16 to 1 odds the guy has just been playing really good target golf uh, been putting phenomenally well. Uh, these courses run super fast on the greens, and I see uh, Justin Rose being that guy. It might be a good value play. Good value play. You can probably get him for a little bit. If you're playing on DraftKings, he's probably going to be in that 8,000 to 8,500 range rather than the Kepkos and the Johnson who are going to be around 11 to 12. Uh, Molinari, who we're talking about, defending champions, 20 to 1 odds. The Spaniard, John Ram. He could step it up. He's been playing the Euro uh, side of, of these tournaments pretty well. Ricky Fowler's that steady guy who's always in the mix first, second day, uh, but has been having trouble finishing those third and fourth rounds. Um, and another personal favorite of mine, I think he's kind of due, is uh, Alexander Shoffley. This young kid is phenomenal. Um, so keep an eye on him. He's a, another steady player. Um, who was I wanting to talk about also? Sergio Garcia. He's, he's just one I think you can get a super value play for. And I get him here at 60 to 1. Yeah, and you can get him super to cheap, but I think he would be there all four rounds if you play the four-day play. I think you can get a lot of value out of him. Also, Graham McDowell, who earned in the U.S. Open his, his chance to be in the British Open. He, when he uh, made the cut and ended in the top 10, he earned his right, and this is his hometown, so he might be stepping up to play uh, for this one, so he might be another great value target as well. But 
love this besides you know the masters and the u.s open this is the next best thing to watch in, in u.s golf. i mean as far as golf pga so oh and one last one gary woodland good guy great guy he's a steady eddie too and he's a 50 to 1 and i don't see him uh, missing the cut as well so keep an eye on that there's a lot of great low value i mean high value players that are coming in low value on this british open for some reason so keep an eye on it for sure all right, coming up next, we have the clip of the week. A little something different for you guys today. Big UFC moment. The fastest knockout in UFC history. Awesome. And, yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it. Go on the old YouTubes like we just did for Johnny Boy here and uh, and check it out because it's pretty brutal. Uh, but some hilarious comments by the fighter afterwards, so enjoy. Building. And these guys just flapping gums at each other. Any chance they get. The fight clock is brought to you by Mojo. I saw some criticism. People say the punches weren't really necessary. Maybe They were super necessary. Why were they necessary? What do you mean, why were they not necessary? Because he was already knocked out at that point. But it, the referee hadn't pulled me off. And my job is to hit somebody till the referee pulls me off. So to those people, I would say, maybe don't watch him and may go back to soccer. I saw some other criticisms, perhaps, of your celebration afterwards. Any regrets at the celebration or your behavior in the cage afterwards? Uh, man, there's not too many people that I've disliked. I have over 50 pro fights, and he's one of them, you know. He talked about my manhood, talked about my culture, my ethnicity. Where, where do we draw? Why do certain people get to do stuff? You online, so you could do anything. Everything is cool before a fight. You're allowed to do and say whatever you want. Like other fighters are not doing, talking about people's religions, wife, even kids. That's cool. But after a fight, I'm not allowed to showboat and rub it in your face. So you and guys like you could see it and be like, maybe I don't talk so much shit because when I cross one of these real motherfuckers, they're going to make me pay for it, man. They're going to embarrass the shit out of me. And it's not over for Ben either. He still has to deal with me. If I see him at Whole Foods, I'm going to still slap that dude up because I don't like him. My whole vision of this, if you if you could get inside my head and replay my thoughts were me beating his ass for 14 minutes and then putting him out like that. I really wanted to hurt him for as long as I could, as much as I could, destroy his kneecaps, bust his ribs, make him piss blood, and then send him home packing. But, you know, he got, I think in a way he got off easy. Is there a chance that maybe one day you guys could drop the beef or do you think it's, is, is this a permanent thing? Oh, no, it's not beef, because if it was beef, it'd be different. I'd be at the front of his house waiting for him right now. It's not beef. This is just, I don't like some my co-worker, we could say, but this is not beef, you know? This is just some idiot I don't like, you know? But my job, thank God, I'm, you guys got to be jealous of, of this for me. I get to punch the co-workers I don't like in the face. <laughs> All right, and we're back. That's just fucking hilarious. You got to love it. And there's a lot of truth to what the guy is saying about the hype and how you generate, you know, the excitement for this fight is a lot of shit talking, a lot of trash talking, and what's been, where he's been honest lately, attacking people's religion, personal lives, what, what's the matter, I mean, so I'm on, I'm on board with this guy, you know, if you're going to talk crap about me, then I'm going to celebrate the fact that I just knocked you the fuck out. Yeah, Jorge Masvidal knocking out Ben Askren. Just in the next week, Ben Askren had a really good uh, sense of humor about it and put up uh, a, a post on Twitter that just said, well, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else can you say? <laughs> uh, Johnny, what's your view on uh, the after the knockout punches? 
whatever. I mean, the ref hadn't wasn't done. Ref hadn't signaled that the match was over. So, yeah, his job is to keep going. I agree. I see. For me, I really enjoy the walk off knockouts. I think on the highlight reel, those just look so much better. I mean, sometimes you need to hammer fist, you know, the face and top of their head, and until they actually go out and the ref calls you off. Sometimes that is. What just nest? What has to happen? And granted, I'm not in there getting my face beat in, so I don't have too much room right. to to pass judgment. But just for me, f- the optics of it, I'm still gonna watch it. But I think when you when you get a fighter, you know that knocks a guy out and just you just see him standing there, standing over and watching him. I just stiff think arm in the air. You know he's locked jaw and just out. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it, I get it. Like I I can never understand or compare because who knows how much. I mean, the amount of adrenaline rushing through their body, how they have to hype themselves up for the fight. And oh. honestly, the amount of, amount of f- fucking rage this guy had towards him, you know? I he, was just going to say, he also fucking hated he, him. I mean, he admitted, like, he had 50 pro career fights, and he doesn't hate a lot of people. He really hated this guy, and he he wanted to make a statement. He, he made a hell of a statement. <laughs> a great quote. Great quote. All right. Uh, I guess we'll fly on into baseball. Johnny, you want to get us started with that? Yeah, so we have the 2019 MLB All-Star Game tonight. I'm sure that everyone will be watching the Midsummer Classic. Uh, there's nothing quite like it, um, although it doesn't count anymore. It's not if this one counts. The World Series uh, home field advantage is no longer determined by the All-Star Game. So it it's back. It, do, you, I, do you agree to that? I liked it. Because I, I liked it, too. You, you to it meant the game it. meant something. Instead, you just kind of... You're watching a game that you're not truly... Invested in it's for the kids, who Johnny. wins or loses. It's for the kids. I'm a kid. And I'm <laughs> telling you what I think. <laughs> but I, All right. I think you have to game plan it better. I think as, as a, a manager for the All Star team, you actually have to think about what you're doing, setting up your pitchers, setting up your batting order, which we'll get into. The Playing batting to win. Order, the batting orders look ridiculous this year. Yeah. So uh, I, I miss the fact that it means something. Obviously, we know the Pro Bowl in football is irrelevant. The NBA playoff games are irrelevant. I mean, All-Star game. All-Star game, excuse me. NBA All-Star game is irrelevant because... I mean, NHL All-Star game is also irrelevant. It's, yeah, so why... You know, so what's the skills point? competition the is skills the best. Competition. Well, the skills competitions are the best part of those right. events. Like the dunk contest in the Home NBA. run derby. I mean, nobody really watched the skills competition. I, I don't even watch pro the Pro Bowl anymore. I don't even know like why they even go. I, I think it's just ridiculous. But I, that's the, this is the one all-star game I love to watch. It makes sense, and I don't know why they're getting away from it. Totally agree. I wish it, I wish it meant something. And it benefited the Red Sox three times. Yeah. In 2004, 2007, and 2013, they had home field advantage because the American League had won the all-star game. So I think baseball is a game, too, that you can still be played as a friendly, but you play as hard as you can. You know what I'm saying? Like, you actually really try. It makes sense in football that you really couldn't try your hardest because you don't want to light somebody up and injure them. or There's just so much risk involved. And this the same thing with hockey, too, and where, you know, they're not going to be really hitting or, or, or going too hard. You know, it's all, it's all stick and skill and just skating around and having, having a good time. But, but baseball... The game itself really lends itself. Everybody can actually fucking try. What would be the process for getting that back? I think in a lot of ways it would be, let's say, 
maybe not this year because there's a lot of really good contenders in the NL, but like of NL past, a great record, but it still doesn't compare to the top one NL team doesn't even compare to the top four or five AL teams. The Dodgers the comp- do, actually. The comp- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Let's, let's go NL past. Yeah. Not what's going on right now. But that's the only thing I can see happening is, like, there's just such a discrepancy between the talent and the AL, or let's flip it, or the NL, that it just doesn't match up. And now they get home field advantage because they have an easier, easier side of the path, league. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only thing I can see changing that is more about the players and the, and the uh, coaches really making a big deal out of it. Then I, I don't see it coming back. I mean, they. I guess that on the players' side, and they didn't. They didn't love it. Um, but I just feel like it. It would mean. I feel like the owners during the next CBA should be like, hey, you know, we had more viewers, and you know, people cared more, and people watched more, and would you know, watch more throughout the duration of the game, watch the whole entire duration of the game instead of just checking in for an inning or two if we did it. So maybe it's something they can include in the next CBA. But I doubt it. Yeah. Would it also create a situation where the players wouldn't get even playing time because the game would matter? So th- that's what happens. Yeah, that's some players didn't play. I, that's why. I, that, remember, some some players at the end of the bench they didn't play. They didn't play. No. Yeah. No. And so now it, everyone plays. Everyone and now that play. it's back to not meaning anything in the end. Um, everyone gets gets in the game. That would be interesting if there was a stipulate where it still matters. Where they mattered, had but, played an inning, and that would that would kind of add another wrinkle to uh, the managing aspect. That would be really fun to watch unfold. You know, watching how because they're forced to work in the entire bench. Um, you know how how you navigate that and and. Um, I'll be, be interested to see if they treat it almost like the Pro Bowl too, because if I'm a high marquee player or pitcher, like it happens in, in football, like I'm just going to scratch myself as injured and just let a sub or a replacement come in. I'm not going to like risk my time going on the mound and throwing, or taking one to the face off a hit. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out over the course of the year, since now it doesn't mean anything. I, I don't mean something. I just don't know what in baseball it still means something to the it's players. It's for the kids, Marty. Is it for I the wonder. Kids? Just just another side side topic. So Chris Sale started the last three All Star games, and last year he really he, he started the All Star game for the American League, and he really turned it on for the first couple of innings. He was throwing a hundred miles an hour. Yes. Well, guess what? Chris Sale hasn't not been the same pitcher since that point, since he was throwing a hundred miles an hour at the All Star game. Yeah. At the end of last year, he never returned to being the same pitcher he was in the first half. And this year, he certainly hasn't been the same pitcher. So, I wonder if he overdid it and then maybe his shoulder took a real hit in that last year's All-Star game. Because um, he was over overextending himself to put on a show. So Right. I don't know. Well, we'll so, we'll see what happens tonight. you got Hin Jin Ryu, the first South Korean-born pitcher starting for the National League. 10-2. and two, Going up against Justin Verlander, Mr. Kate Upton. Who's ten and four, not having his finest season, but uh, you know, as far as pitcher choices for the American League, Verlander is always going to be a good choice to, to start an All Star game. Um, but your lineups are as follows for the American League: you have George Springer leading off, DJ LeMahieu batting second, uh, Mr. Mike Trout batting third, and the hometown kid Carlos Santana batting cleanup. Great guitar player. JD Martinez of the Sox is batting fifth. Alex Bregman is sixth. Gary Sanchez of the Yankees is seventh. Ooh. Michael Brantley returns to Cleveland as an Astro member of the Astros this year, and yep. he's batting eighth. And then Jorge Polanco of the Twins is batting ninth. 
And for the National League side, you have Christian Yelich, last year's National League MVP, batting leadoff. Javi Baez of the Cubs, batting second. Freddie Freeman, batting third. Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers, batting fourth. Nolan Arenado, fifth. Josh Bell, batting sixth. Wilson Contreras, the Cubs catcher, batting seventh. Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks, second baseman, batting eighth. And Ronald Acuna of the Braves, batting ninth. So, it'll be interesting. Should be fun for a little bit. You know, I'll watch a little bit of it. I don't know if I'll watch the entire game, but we'll see. So, technically, we're at the halfway point, Johnny. So, any second half, big predictions, major turnarounds, falls that you see coming uh, in the MLB? I mean, Washington is a team that's really turned it on lately, the Nationals. And if they can get into the playoffs... um, they're always going to be scary, and be you know they lost Bryce Harper, but they still have the three good pitchers, with adding Patrick Corbin this year to go with Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. So, and they have a lot of young talent on the team as well with with uh, Juan Soto and Trey Turner and mm-hmm. uh, Victor Robles. So they could be an exciting team if they get into the playoffs, and they are they do have a playoff spot now. They just got into one. Um, another team that's always a, a hot second half team is the Oakland A's, and they've of course they're started that to break. started to play bread yeah. better as well. Um, so that's the team I like. I'm a little worried about the Brewers going forward because their starting pitching just isn't. They held together really well last year, surprisingly, when they didn't really have much pitching. But this right. year, it just hasn't been as good, and I feel like it's starting to affect the team. And Yelich has been carrying them along with Mike Moustakas. But aside from that, they're, they're kind of lacking. And Josh Hader's been touched up a few times this year. He's not as elite as he was last year. Mm-hmm. So I think the Brewers could start to slip a little bit. and Because we've seen in the NL Central, it's so jam-packed. All the teams are really close. I think the the, the Cincinnati Reds are in last place. And how many games are they? Five and a half? Six? Four and a half. They're four and a half? So all five teams in the Central are within four and a half games of each other. That's that's yeah. pretty insane. So your your wild card spot between the Nationals all the way down to the Padres. That's what Nationals, Phillies, Brewers, Diamondbacks, Padres, and that order is only separated by two games. I'll throw the Cardinals in there by two games. I don't like the Cardinals. No. I think the Cardinals are um, going the other way. A team I do like is the Padres. Padres. They're and right. Just check their odds. So I'm going yeah. to Vegas in um in a little over a month. I'm going to throw some money on the Padres. They're yeah. 100 to 1 to win the World Series right now, and they're playing well. And they just, and Manny Machado just said the other day, which I love his moxie, he said, We'll win a World Series before the uh, the Dodgers do. Wow. Wow. So, I didn't see that. We'll see, but they have a lot of young talent on that team. So Yeah, I was going to ask you, you see, because right now you got Nationals in the number one spot for the wild card, followed by the Phillies, Brewers, and Diamondbacks. And I was going to ask you, it sounds like you see the Padres coming up in that wild card spot. Do you see Maybe. Like, maybe. Hopefully. I mean, do you see the Diamondbacks making a move? No. Okay. That, well, I feel like they're going the other way. I feel like they're going to try to trade Zach Greinke, even though Greinke doesn't want to get traded. Right. He doesn't want to get traded. He doesn't want to throw no hitters because they're too too much of a pain in the ass. Um, he just doesn't want to be, be dealt, and maybe I think he's going to win that, that argument because his salary is so much to take on for any other team that it, it just might be too much, and I think that he can veto to veto trades to some teams as right. well. Uh, so I think the Diamondbacks are going to run out of steam, personally. AL-wise, I, I, mean, I, I like where the Astros are heading. It seems like they're now getting really healthy again. They look pretty dominant. And they're right there already. Uh, basically, same amount of wins with the Yankees with 57. 
You got Twins uh, right there in third. Then we got in the wild card race the Rays, fifty two and thirty nine, followed by the Indians, uh, fifty and thirty eight. Then we got Athletics, uh, Reds, our Red Sox, and then the Rangers, who surprisingly had a great mm-hmm. first half season. Yeah, I did not expect that. They whatsoever. almost owe it to that team. Daniels almost owes it to that team to make a make a move to right. add add to the team. Exactly. But now they just so they have Hendrick Pence, who's been unbelievable this year. He's been hurt. And now Chu just went down with injury on the last game. Right. So, they you know, some, if in, injuries could overcome. catch up. Yeah. Um, and but, who knows what happens with the Angels dealing with right. all the turmoil and emotional distress that they're going through. 45 and 46, they can play some inspired ball and, and step up. I mean, the offense is good. They're, they're really good. With Trout, Otani, Upton, yeah. and Pujols, the, the Upton, I mean, the offense is, is fantastic, but it's the, the pitching is ju- it's a huge bugaboo for the right. Angels. I see it in my own personal mind, and I'm praying Red Sox just might. I just want to see them move up in that spot. I see the Rays getting tight down the road like they usually do. They're they're, see, they're fading. Yeah, they've been fading. I see them fall. I see the Indians stay constant, and I see Red Sox Indians in that wild card spot with the a- Athletics as always, just chewing on everybody's tails mm. to get in. All right, so uh, we'll let that lead into my top ten teams of the week. Um, so at number 10 this week, I've got the Tampa Bay Rays, who, like I just mentioned, are a team that's um, on the free fall. The Cleveland Indians at number 9, who's kind of on the come up. Washington Nationals at number 8, also on the rise. Number 7 is Milwaukee Brewers. Number 6, Chicago Cubs, kind of hanging in the same spots they have been. Number 5 is the Atlanta Braves. 4, Minnesota Twins. 3, I have the Houston Astros. Two, the New York Yankees, and number one is L.A. Dodgers. All right, your AL Player of the Week for last week is Yuli Gurriel, batted 429 with six home runs and 13 RBIs. Gurriel is from the Astros. Uh, from the National League, um, we have an, another Pittsburgh Pirate winning Player of the Week, Adam Frazier. He fixed his swing, and he ended up batting 600 last week. Um, with batting a 625 slug and 933 OPS with a home run, seven doubles, seven RBIs. All right, and then finally, the top 10 hitters from the last two weeks. Number one, Fernando Tatis. Number two is Josh Bell. Number three is Yuli Gurriel. Number four is his brother, Lourdes Gurriel. Number five, Pittsburgh Pirate Kevin Newman. Number six, Rafi Devers. Number seven is uh, Toronto catcher Danny Jansen. Number eight, Matt Olson. Number nine is Christian Vasquez. And number 10 is Brett Gardner. And lastly, the pitchers, the top 10 pitchers over the last two weeks. Number one is Trevor Bauer. Number two is Max Scherzer. Three is Charlie Morton. Four is Aaron Nola. Five, Shane Bieber. Six, Garrett Cole. Seven, Patrick Corbin. Eight is Sonny Gray. Nine is Steven Strasburg. And lastly, Lance Lynn is the number 10 pitcher over the last two weeks. That is baseball in the week. All righty. Sounds good, John. Uh, quick announcement, a little housekeeping. We are going to be taking next week off. Hope to be back the week after. And then we will likely be taking all of August off so that we can travel around, be with our families, enjoy the rest of the summer, it is likely that coming out of the break, we will be already through week one of football. Crazy, so it's crazy to think about. It's coming up soon. Yeah. But just the way our schedules work, are working out, it doesn't look like we'll be able to get together 
before, before week one. Before week one. So uh, lots to look forward to. Uh, hoping to, to get the girls over here uh, for the next episode. Kind of interview them about what it's like to live with uh, sports nuts. So <laughs> look forward to that. Uh, mine, you, mine is hormonal and pregnant as hell. We may leave the pregnant one okay, at home. Okay, I was like, all right. I, yeah. I want to be able to come back. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you can find Johnny on Twitter at Green Mountain Grinder. That's Green MT Grinder. On Twitter, you can find the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Green Mountain Sports. Um, Marty, you weren't here. We eclipsed 500 downloads and listens. Um, so, oh, really? Yep. Congratulations to us. And thanks so much to all of you out there for for making that happen. So, y'all, Marty, good to see you again. Hope to have you back. No, Uh, I appreciate it. Now we, you know, came back and we're going to take another little break. But, uh, yeah, like we said, it's just summer is summer and we need our time. Well, summer's slow, too. It's a slow time of year. Exactly. So, but we'll keep everybody up to date on the uh, social media sites and I'll I'll keep everybody up to date on the the British Open and, and what I enjoy in the meantime through this kind of little deadpan time of sports uh, besides baseball. All right. Enjoy the baseball.